Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. All right. We're going to pray again, and we're going to ask that God would speak to us from his word. Um, so let's do that, and then we'll dig into it. Let's pray. Father, uh, we thank you that we have the privilege now of opening up your word, and having just heard it read out, we pray now that you would transform us by it. We pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work, and we pray, Lord, that we would be different people um, this morning, having met with the living God. Um, so do this work among us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you have a childlike wonder for Christmas? Are you excited for this season? You know, uh, I remember growing up, I did have this, right? Uh, growing up for me, there was always an excitement about Christmas, a childlike wonder of the season. I, I loved it, and I loved it despite the fact that we would have the same silly traditions every year. So for me, uh, every year we would be given, the first present of the year would be an orange, and I loved it. I loved it. I was so excited that we would get an orange each year. We would also get a pillow slip full of absolute junk that we would get before church, before we could open up our presents, and I love that too. Um, I love that my dad would always put a present under the tree to dad from dad. I loved that as well. Everything about it, I absolutely loved. I loved the Christmas season. But at some point, and I can't pinpoint exactly when, but at some point the childlike wonder began to fade. Now, I don't know when it was. I think maybe at the end of teenager, you know, the end of school, becoming an adult, responsibilities and life and stress and all that stuff comes upon your shoulders. Maybe it's just the fact that presents that come from your bank account just don't hit you as hard as presents from your parents' bank account. I don't know what it was, but at some point, this wonder began to fade. And so for me now, if I want a childlike wonder, if I want an excitement over the Christmas season, I've got to be really intentional. I've got to hype myself up. Like, don't get me wrong, I want to want Christmas. You know, like, I want to be excited by it, but I'm just kind of not. And so I've got to work really hard to get to that point because the truth is, for many of us, there are a bunch of different opinions when it comes to Christmas season. And for many of us, as we think about and consider the Christmas season, there are some here today that are not that excited by it. You know, some of us are just weary. We're stressed, we're exhausted. For some of us, we haven't had the time in the year to even consider the season that we're in. And for some of us, Christmas is one of the hardest times of the year because it just reminds us of things that have gone wrong. Not all of us have this wonder over this Christmas season. And so the question we want to think about this morning as we open up God's Word is, should we have a wonder over the season? And is it possible to have a wonder over the season, if we, even if we're not children, even, a childlike wonder, even if we've grown up a little bit and we have responsibility and, and stress? Is there a way for us to understand the magnitude of this season and be filled with wonder and that stay with us whether we're a child, a teenager, or an adult? Well, this is what we're going to think about this morning. And we're going to do that as we look at this passage that Beck just read out for us because here in this passage is the very first Christmas carol actually, that was ever written, right? This is a carol uh, because Mary sings this uh, song. This is a song that she writes down, or she doesn't write, Luke writes down for us. And in this song, we've got three things that are going to help us, three things this morning that are going to help us hopefully have a wonder 
over this season. So if you've got your Bibles there, have them open, because the first thing we see is that God is with us. And this fact alone should cause us to wonder. So let's pick it up in Luke 1, verse 46 again, where Mary says this, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. So why should we wonder over this season? Where's the the childlike wonder come from? Well, the first thing we see is the truth that God is with us. And it's this fact that causes Mary to sing, to write this song. So, so let's understand this song first and foremost, because what she's doing is um, uh, she's writing this song, and you might have heard it called, it's called the, the Magnifat, I think, or something like that, um, which if you've heard that before, that's just a Latin word for magnify, which is the, the actual word that, that Mary is using here, where she says, my soul glorifies the Lord. And what she's saying is she's saying, my soul glorifies the Lord, my soul rejoices in the Lord, for he's done great things. And, and this image, magnify, it's really important because it, it gives us a visual of what happens when we sing. Okay, so we all understand this. Uh, magnify, right? What, what comes to your mind? There's, there's two ways that this word can be used, right? So kids, if you get a magnifying glass for Christmas, congratulations. You know, that'll be exciting for you. Uh, opening the magnifying glass up on Christmas Day. I, I got one when I was younger and I loved it when you could get the magnifying glass and, you know, you'd find a ladybug in the backyard, and much to the, you know, the ladybug would be dead by the time we get the magnifying glass over the top of it, but, but you, you do it, and, and what's the magnifying in that moment? It's making something small look big, right? We get that with magnifying glasses, but we also get that, that there's another type of magnifying, and it's what happens when, if you get a telescope for Christmas. So if that's on your wish list, and you get a telescope, if you were to look up to the moon, you know, what you would see is that through the telescope, you're magnifying the moon and you're making something that's really big but far away feel and sense closer. You know, that, that's a type of magnifying as well. You see, the moon is actually big. You know, we get that, right? Even though we all loved... Do you remember as a kid going like this? The moon is this big. Do you remember? Maybe that's just me. I still like... But do you know, right, when you do that, even if you think the moon's small, we know it's big, right? And so there's a, there's a way that the telescope find something really big, look closer, and feel closer. And this is, this is magnifying too, and this is what Mary's doing. She's not making something small look much bigger, she's making something big feel and sense closer. And she magnifies the Lord. And, and why does she magnify the Lord? Well, it's because of the passage just before it. And, and just before it, Elizabeth and Mary meet together from verse, uh, from verse 39 to 45. Mary and Elizabeth meet together, and Elizabeth says to Mary, how favored am I that the mother of my Lord is with me. And as Mary thinks about what's just happened, she sings. From that, she magnifies the Lord. And so it's the truth that God is with us that causes Mary to sing and, and to be um, in awe of the living God. She can't help herself but look at God and think how, how amazing it is that God is with us. Now, this is something that should cause us a sense of wonder. You know, like, and I know, like, we don't often, you know, we know the Christmas story, don't we? Everyone does. You know, you see the, the, the lights, you know, the lights are awesome on our church. You see the, the lights if you drive past all the nativity scenes wherever you go, and you see the baby Jesus, but, but often when you see the baby Jesus, you don't just immediately go, wow, how awesome is that? But the, the truth is, God with us should cause us to wonder. 
And, and it, if it doesn't, it's interesting to think about why it doesn't. You know, like I think at, at part, for me, sometimes it doesn't cause me to wonder because I've just heard it before. You know, we do this every year. Christmas is always coming and we always think about this. But I wonder if the reason it doesn't cause us to wonder is because we kind of think, well, of course God would be with us because we're pretty awesome. Do you ever think that? You know, like the human heart, within the human heart, right, we do actually love to make the world the center of ourselves. Do you know that? Like we we love to, in a way, magnify ourselves and think that we're the center of the universe. And when we magnify ourselves, we actually are using the magnifying glass. Uh, we make ourselves appear to be much bigger and larger than we, we actually are. And we think we're the center of the universe. In fact, um, there's, a, there's a book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. You know that book? And basically, it's the way of how to get people to like you. And one of the things he says is just let them talk about themselves. Because secular people, everyone gets... the. People just like talking about themselves. They like themselves. We like ourselves. We think we're the center of the universe. But the truth is we're not the center of the universe. In fact, there was an article this week that put me in my place. You can search this article if you want to be put in your place as well. It's from the Washington Post talking about where you fit in the world's population right now. And, you know, it's, in, it's an infograph. It's quite beautiful. But as I was looking at it, it was quite humbling as well. Because right now, there's about 8 billion people on the planet. And what this article does is you can put your own age into it and see where you fit and how many other people are exactly like you. And so it starts with uh, looking at China, which was 1.4 billion people. And you put your age in, so I did that. And you know how many 32-year-old males there are in China alone? It's about 13 million. So 13 million people exactly like me in one country. Okay, so, so you take a step back from that and you look at the, the global population and there's something like 132 million 32-year-olds in the world. And just males, there's like 64 million 32-year-old guys in the world. Is that not wild? Like, we think the world is all about us and centers all around me and that, that my life is the most important thing, and yet there's 64 million other people exactly like me. We are not the center of the universe. We think we are, but we are not the center of the universe. The, the universe does not revolve around us. In fact, right now, we live in suburbs most of the world's never heard of. We are gathering in a suburb that no one's ever heard of. You know, we're not even in the most popular state in Australia, right? Some people don't even know what Queensland is. And it's outrageous to think that we're the center of the universe. But, but sometimes we do this. This is really what sin is. It's, it's selfishness. It's magnifying ourselves, making ourselves look and appear bigger than we actually are. And so when we think about God with us, what happens is we go, well, of course God's with us because we're awesome. But no, we're not that awesome. We're just part of creation. You know, we think we're somebody, but actually there's a billion of us. And we are a part of creation. And, and humanity, we all sit as created people. But do you know what? There is someone who stands above this. One who stands above this. It's the living God. You see, there's one creator. The rest is creation. There's one holy God. The rest of us are us. There's one awesome in power, one timeless, one infinite. And the rest of us have a start and an end and have barely got our lives together. And yet, the wonder of this season is that this one holy God would become like us. 
and would enter into the world to be with us. And this ought to cause us wonder. I mean, in fact, one of the ways that I am so captivated by this is through the language of a song that we've sung here at Southside a number of times over the years called Arrival. It's uh, by Hillsong. And there's some lyrics uh, that I'd love to read out for us here just to capture the nature of God, the infinite God coming as a human. This is what it says, right? Who is God that he would take our frame? The artisan inside the paint. A, uh, a breathe very air, his breath sustains. The architect inside the plan. O come now, hail his arrival, the God of creation, royalty robed in the flesh he created. Jesus, the maker, has made himself known. Now, let's just think about this next, this next little bit. All hail the infinite, infant God. The one who had no start and knows no end became confined in time and tense. The everlasting God, the great I am, in the mercy of a mother's hands. It's, it's worthy of just meditating on for a moment. The infinite God was confined to time and space. The great I am, the everlasting God, the holy God who stands alone was at the mercy of his mother's hands. Consider that. The living God was a baby who if he cried and his mother didn't answer him would have kept crying. This is outrageous, right? Like the holy God humbled himself to become a baby. That if, if his mother didn't change his nap, he would have stayed in that. If his mother didn't help him fall asleep, he would have cried himself to sleep. It's insane that God would do this. And yet what we do is we look at the nativity scene and we go, of course God would do that. No, no, not of course God would do that. The fact that the Holy God came with us is truly wonderful. It's worthy of meditating and thinking about just how helpless babies are and that the living Holy God became like one of us. So, so why should we wonder at this season? Well, firstly, it's because God is with us. But it's not just that God is with us. Because as we keep reading, we see it's not just God is with us, it's that God is for us. So let's have a look at this song again, because Mary says this. So she's speaking about how good it is that she's the mother of Jesus, and, and that's amazing. And then she says this in verse 50. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. And what she's saying here is that the mercy of God is not just reserved for Mary, but this extends to people to all those who fear him. And to fear God simply means to, to understand that he's the holy and awesome God and I'm going to trust this God and, and surrender to this God. And when that happens, people receive his mercy. Now the question is, okay, so who gets that? Who's the mercy reserved for, right? Who are the generations that get this? Well, th this is interesting because in the Roman world, what you would be tempted to say is the elites. Do you know, you'd be tempted to say, like, the, the people that have it all together, the royalty, um, the religious leaders, you know, those guys that, that look like they have it all together, the, the rich, the ones that are held up in society above all others. You'd be tempted to say that. Even today, you'd be tempted to say something like that, right? Who is it that gets God's mercy? The temptation is to say, well, it's people that look like they have it all together. Maybe people that attend church once in a while and, you know, do the right things and, and all that sort of stuff. But actually what we see as we keep reading is that the ones who receive God's mercy are not those who have it all together, but actually those who realize that they don't. Have a look at this from verse 51, because she says, His mercy extends to those who fear Him, and then look, He has performed mighty deeds with His arm. 
He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones, but lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. And what Mary's getting at here is that the mercy of God is not reserved for the elites, the ones who have it all together, but actually the mercy of God is extended to people who realize they don't have it all together. The humble, the servants, the lowly, the, the hungry, those will be filled. The rich, the, the, the elites, the religious, those will be sent away empty, but those who are lowly will, will, will be lifted up. Now, this is exactly what Jesus said when he said, I've come into the world to seek and save the lost. You know, there are a number of times where Jesus said things like, you know, I have not come for the healthy, but the sick. The great physician, Jesus, did not come so that those who look like they have it all together can, can get everything. No, Jesus came into the world to seek and save the lost, the lowly. Now, this begins with Mary. You know, she is a nobody from nowhere, and yet we remember her as the mother of Jesus. The lowly was lifted up. But of course, this is actually true for anyone who's in the family of God. If you're in the family of God, it's not because you have it all together. Do you see, it's not because you're, you know, wearing this mask and pretending to be good. No, those who are in the family of God are those who realize that they're nobodies, but they trust in a somebody. You know, that's how we are saved. That's, that's who God is for. It's not for the ones who have it all together. It's for the ones who don't. Yet trust in Jesus who does. So, so you see, when you reflect on this, God with us, God for us, but here's where the rubber hits the road. It's in the next point. It's that God invites us, the lowly, into himself. And this is worth reflecting on too as we pull this all together. Because in verse 50, if we go back to that, verse 50 it says, His mercy extends to those who fear him. And I love this truth that God loves to give mercy to people. Like, God is not a stingy God. He loves to give it to those who come to Him, the lowly who come to Him and trust in Him. And, and when we come to Jesus and trust in Jesus, we will receive mercy in abundance. And it's such a beautiful thing to think about God inviting us in. And this too should cause us to wonder. Now, it's interesting because at this time of year, I know that it's carol season, right? Now, I want to be really clear about what I'm about to say. I love carols. Okay? I, I love them. They've been on in our house for weeks. I can't wait for tonight. I think carols are awesome. But there is one carol, if you think about it, that implies something. And it's, O come all ye faithful. Now again, I hope we sing it tonight. I love this carol. I love what it does for this season. But this first line of, O come all ye faithful, implies something. So here's the line. You know it, right? O come all ye faithful, joyful, and triumphant. Now, do you see the implication of that? Who is it that can come to Jesus? It's the faithful, the joyful, the triumphant. Now, again, I love carols. And I think that in Christ, we can sing this. So when we trust in Jesus, of course, I am declared faithful, and, and I've received a joy, and I am triumphant. But this line on its own, what it does for me is it makes me think the only people who can come are those who have it all together, the faithful, the joyful, the triumphant. And if I'm honest, the amount of times I've sung this and actually felt a childlike wonder, I think, I think actually the only time I've ever felt this wonder was when I was not a Christian. 
because I thought I was joy, I was faithful and joyful and triumphant. But when I came to faith in Jesus, what I began to realize is that this line here is actually the complete opposite of how I feel most of the time. Because I, most of the time, when I'm coming and singing this song, I don't feel faithful. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I've arrived today after a week of failing to live up to my own standards. And the amount of times that I want to feel more joy about what I'm singing about, but I don't feel that joy. And times when, the, like, I don't feel victorious or triumphant. And so this line describes the opposite of what I'm feeling. But the song that we've been singing, the new one that we've introduced, this song, this song does help me have this wonder of Jesus. Because when you think about this idea of, oh, come all you unfaithful, this describes my reality far more often. I mean, look at these lines again, and let's just slow down and meditate and think about this. Oh, come all you unfaithful. Come weak and unstable. Come know that you are not alone. I come barren and waiting ones, weary of praying, come see what your God has done. O come bitter and broken, come with fears unspoken, come taste of his perfect love. O come guilty and hiding ones, there is no need to run, see what your God has done. Does this describe you? Because this describes me, weak, unstable, bitter, broken, guilty, hiding, welcome to my life. And yet the living God looks at me and invites me in. Do you see the wonder of this? Why would the holy God who is infinite and awesome and powerful and good and holy and perfect, look at my humble state and invite me in? Why would he look at your humble state and invite you in? It doesn't make any sense, but yet this is what Christmas is all about. This is what the story of Christmas is all about. It's that when God sees us, he doesn't abandon us, but he invites us to come to him. And when we come to him, we receive mercy. You see, if you don't feel the wonder of this Christmas season, let's just reflect on these words. Let's sit with this for a bit longer. Because the more that we understand our state, the more we see the wonder of the fact that God would come into the world for people like us. So God is with us, God is for us, and God invites us. These things should cause us to wonder. Now, sometimes they don't. I get that. Maybe you're feeling that right now. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to practice these things. We're going to practice magnifying God, and we're going to do that in two ways. The first way we're going to do this is through the Lord's Supper, and then we're going to do this through singing this song again. Firstly, with the Lord's Supper. The, the Lord's Supper, what we've got here, bread and juice, this is a moment in our lives where we come and we participate in what Jesus has done for us. And this is a moment where we basically remember that it's Jesus' body broken for us that allows us to be in the family of God. And Jesus said this before the night when he was betrayed. Jesus broke the bread and took the drink and he said, do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of the fact that the way that you are lifted up 
is because the Son of Man, Jesus, was lowered. It, it was his death. That's what brings us in the family of God. And so when we take the bread and the juice, this is what we're doing. We're remembering the magnitude of the fact that God would rescue people like us. So today, this is what we're going to do. We're going to take the Lord's Supper. But just a few things before we come up and do this. Firstly, there was an email that went out in terms of uh, thinking about kids. Okay, so if you've got kids in the service today, we sent an email out this week in terms of having conversations with your kids about the Lord's Supper. Um, the Lord's Supper is not something to be taken lightly, and it's something that if you are a parent, you should be talking to your kids about the Lord's Supper. Now, if you missed that email or if you haven't had that conversation, what we would encourage you this morning is just to let this one pass for your kids and next time we do it, make sure between now and then you have that conversation. If you didn't get the email and you need to get the email, come and see me and we'll make sure you got that email. But it's really important that we don't take this lightly and that our kids know what's happening when they're taking the Lord's Supper. Okay, so that's the first thing if you have kids. The second thing is if you're here and you're not sure about Jesus. You know, maybe you wouldn't call Jesus your savior. Maybe, maybe you haven't trusted in him with all of your life. You haven't surrendered to him. If you're here and you're not sure about Jesus, maybe you've still got questions, maybe you've, you've got things that you're working through, we just want to say we love you and we love having you here and we want to help you work through your questions and on this journey, but we too would encourage you not to take the Lord's Supper today because this is basically a physical sign of an inward reality. So if you don't trust in Jesus, don't take the, the bread and juice. We're not judging. This is actually a moment that we're reflecting individually on what the Lord has done and together on what the Lord has done for us. But if you are here today, and if you put your trust in Jesus, if you realize that you are a nobody, but that you trust in a somebody, and when you trust in a somebody, in Jesus, we, we realize that we have value and worth and life and peace and security and everything good, then what we would encourage you to do is come forward and grab some bread and juice and reflect and meditate on the wonder of this season, on the wonder that the living God knows the depths of your heart, the stuff that you do in secret, the guilt, the shame, the things that cause you to run away. He knows that and he loves you and welcomes you in. Now, if you've got people around you that can't come up and grab bread and juice for whatever reason, would you just ask them if you can help them out? And if they say yes, would you help them out in that? But I'm going to invite you now to come and grab some bread and juice. Hold on to it, and then we'll have this together as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Please come and grab some. On the night before Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and broke it. And he said, when you eat of this, do this in remembrance of my body broken for you. As we eat of this bread, let's remember our Lord Jesus died so we could be brought in. Let's eat together. And Jesus held the cup and he said, when you drink of this cup, do this in remembrance of me. Remember my blood, the blood of the covenant shed for you. When we drink of this juice, we're remembering we're brought in the family of God because Jesus' blood was shed. Let's drink together. Jesus, we come before you now and we thank you so much for your blood shed and your body broken. We thank you and we ask that you would give us a sense of the magnitude of the fact that you came into our world for weak and broken and unstable and guilty ones. We thank you that when you looked on our state, you did not abandon us, but that you loved us. 
and that Jesus, the Lamb of God, came into the world to be slain so that we could have peace, peace in our own hearts and peace with the living God. And so, Lord, we pray that you would give us a heart to understand this and to grasp this. And we pray that this season, whatever's going on, that we would be able to wonder in the beauty of the message that Jesus came into the world. Give us this grace, we pray in his name. Amen.